Welcome back to Riot Underground. You found the place where innovators are changing the world with disruptive technology. I'm Sarah Glova, and joining us today is industry veteran Tim Sweet. Tim is a solution manager at DNA Group, so we're going to be breaking down HMI and talking about usability and how we're adapting product design for all users, including things like what the changing global environment means within IoT innovation and new products. So Tim, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Can't wait to dive in, but let's kick it off with the question that helps our listeners to picture who's in the studio. So who's a celebrity you'd pick to play you in a movie? The first one that came to mind was Tom Hanks. I was like, oh, no, Tom Hanks has no relationship to me, but <laughs> he, he's just done some fun roles. And I, Is there a I, certain I, Tom Hanks role that you relate to that you're thinking of? Well, it's the voice in Toy Story. That's the one that... <laughs> <laughs> So, so if you're thinking of Tom Hanks, but Toy Story, then that, that would be the ideal person. Perfect. Perfect. We can work with that. <laughs> now, I've also seen your name as I looked into more of your work history. I saw your name related to some publications. I saw that you have written a couple of times for magazines like Appliance Design. And I read a lot about both IoT and HMI. Um, you had some really interesting articles about how people are going to be changing how things need to be used. Some of my favorites were you tied some demographic data about different generations, who's living longer, who's living in what home, and how devices need to be used. I found that fascinating. How how did you get into that work? A speaker came in and he presented, and he was a professor at uh, UNC Chapel Hill in the field of sociology. And he published a paper about the tsunami of the aging of the population, right? And he presented this whole demographics shift. And anybody who's making products today needs to understand that and identify with that so that when they produce something, it needs to focus in on the entire population. So simple things like if you look at a wall switch, wall switch has that little paddle. Mm -hmm. And sometimes for an aging person, it's hard for them to uh, actuate up Grab and down. So, little, so, a lot, yeah. so a lot of switches now, they have the big rocker switches, mm-hmm. right? Big, big paddles. Almost like on a, a seesaw, but vertical. Yeah, right. And those are very easy. Not only are they uh, less physical effort to switch, they're actually bigger buttons. So you, it's easier for somebody to switch that switch. The same goes with almost all appliances that you would use. And the countertop appliances, a lot of them have gone to this touchscreen technology the coolest thing, right? But you try to get your finger into the spot where it has to go in order to make it do what it's supposed to do. (laughs) And you don't see exactly where it is and and you press it and all of a sudden it's going backwards and you don't understand why it's doing that. Um, That's all part of human factors engineering or HMI, human Mm -hmm. machine interface. All those things need to be accounted for when you develop your next generation of products. It's fun to bring that conversation into Riot Underground because we talk a lot about innovation and just naturally, I feel like our conversation skewers to what's new, what's exciting, what are the latest tech devices that, you know, people are buying and there's a bias there of like, what are the tech devices that young people who are excited about tech are buying? But of course, we need to consider product design for everyone and that with the, you said the tsunami of the populations that are getting older, there's so many affordances to consider that are different for different kinds of people. What is also really fun about that is some of those things are better for all of us. When I am, you know, balancing my five-year-old and trying to pack 
for work, I also appreciate a coffee button that I can hit without having to put too much concentration <laughs> yeah. into it. So sometimes intuitive, you know, right? It's like, right. It says on. <laughs> sometimes, and I think that's the beauty of that term, universal design. Sometimes it's you know the things that are better for certain groups. Sometimes those considerations are helpful for everyone. Yeah, and and certainly you know the innovation that the iPhone brought with the touch screen. It opened up a lot of uh, ways in, in which you you can access a, a device, but sometimes that technology by itself is not maybe the best appropriate use of that that particular technology. One of the examples that I give is if you're driving a off-road vehicle and you're trying to touch a button on a touchscreen and your hands bouncing around, that's the last thing you're going to do is be able to, to hit that button. Uh, you want something that's big and clunky that you can actually right. put your hand Grip on and, and yeah yeah and, and and move it. So application you have to look at the use of the technology and if it's appropriate for that particular application i'd love to hear from your perspective just what some of the changes are that you're most excited about that have you excited to keep doing what you're doing the, probably the biggest change that i've seen and and what brings this group together is the world of iot the internet of things and the internet has been out there for you know 20 some odd years and wireless technology has been around a lot longer than that but it's bringing the innovation and bringing down the price point, the cost to acquire that data at the edges of the internet that are revolutionizing so many things. I remember Larry's uh, words well, this is the fourth industrial revolution. And I think he's right. I think he was right. And I think we're going to prove him right as we go forward here. It is amazing to see how, how much technology is being created. That's a wonderful reference to Larry Stefan, the founder of Riot. And yes, that was one of my favorite quotes of him as well, talking about um, IoT is the fourth industrial revolution, something he was really passionate about. So something I love about what you just said is it explains a question that it's an answer to a question that I hear a lot. So a question we hear a lot is, you know, why IoT now? Haven't we been dealing with this forever? Wasn't it called machine to machine? Haven't I heard of this already? But there are certain things that have fallen into place to all the sudden ramp up what's possible. So you mentioned one, just cost, the cost of being able to collect this data. And then you mentioned carrier options, the different network opportunities. Anything else come to mind that's helped to form this perfect storm? I think those are the two, but it's there are the little pieces that have been missing in those two channels. So the airwaves have always been there, right? It's making use of them. So, you know, Wi-Fi has been around for a while, but Wi-Fi is certainly very good if you're in your home or in an office environment. Not really good if you're, you know, 100 feet or 200 feet away. So using now something that's, you know, a better technology to do that, that has become affordable Mm -hmm. is really sort of the moving the IoT revolution away from just computer to computer or computer to cloud, moving it to something that's, you know, right down to the the little ant that's walking across the ground. If we can get a chipset down to that level, which we're probably not far away from. I don't uh, think we are. We, no. I mean, we have, we've seen presentations where they're talking in ag tech about putting a sensor with every seat. We're to the point where sensors are that affordable that Absolutely, we can be monitoring yeah. individual plants. Yeah. And so it's not just the sensor, as you've mentioned, it's also what network is supporting the communication so that information can be collected from those sensors and analyzed somewhere. And yeah. now that all that's come together, that's, that's, that's what it is. Right. That's what's made the perfect storm. It's the perfect storm, yeah. Yeah. 
So are there certain IoT devices, and this is more thinking about just all the different tech that you get to see, are there certain IoT devices or advancements that you're most excited about? I mean, there's so many things going on in this particular space. The ones that, that I'm most involved with right now that I see flourishing the most are these low bandwidth, long distance applications. So in what we call the LP WAN space, the low power WAN uh, wide area network space. And so it's just now that that's sort of gotten it to the point where it's at the cost point where, again, you can put a tracking device on a seed or a packet of seeds and be able, you're not trying to steer it in any particular direction. You don't have to have commit what I call command and control, but you know where it is, you know, you know uh, where it's been, you know, if it's been overexposed to heat or, or whatever the sensor is picking up, that Mm -hmm. type of technology is just now, I mean, in the last couple of years available through a couple of, you know, a couple of applications, Sigfox and LoRa are, are two, but there's others. But those two are sort of the key players. And then 5G is coming in, do somewhat the same thing. But that makes it a f- so affordable to track these gazillions of things. You know, it's not millions, it's gazillions, you know. So <laughs> I think that's the going to be the flourishing area in the next probably five to eight years. That, and I think that's an important discussion for us to keep in mind. If this isn't your area of expertise, I think we hear a lot about fiber bandwidth. I want my Netflix episode and I want it now. And I want it at the, you know, third floor of my house and the, you know, most side bedroom, even if my Wi-Fi is all the way downstairs. We talk a lot about networks that are really powerful and really big and able to transfer a lot of data, but there's so much that can be done with low power. You said, um, not needing to be within 100 feet when you need to be yards and yards away. Having a network to support that kind of thing, the sensor that I put on the seed doesn't need to load a Netflix episode. That is not going to help it, although that would be a fascinating study. Cool stuff, yeah. Does my plant grow better if I let it watch Parks and Rec? I don't know. Uh, But at the end of the day, that's not what that sensor needs. That sensor just needs to communicate, hey, I'm here, I might need some water. I'm alive, yeah. I'm alive, I might need some water. And so for something like that, we have to think about how that sensor can connect to a network in a different way that doesn't cost us the kind of money that a Netflix episode costs. Yeah, and the chip makers and the radio makers have, have sort of finally figured that out and, and have developed chips that can they can do that. And you can buy them dirt cheap and put them into devices, yeah. I have a fun time asking sometimes if there's a bit of a return to the makerspace. It's not quite the you know, the home computer clubs that we used to see that maybe we would have spotted Steve Wozniak at. But there does seem to be a return with things like Raspberry Pis and affordable developer kits, a return to this, I can make something, I can make something that works. And Perfect example, uh, one of our customers wanted to think about developing something in Laura, and I said, okay, cool. And after the phone call, I went online, I bought two Laura devices and had them on my desk in about three days and connected my thing to the network and and I was up and running. It was that fast. Yeah. And it cost less than $100. So mm-hmm. cool devices, yeah. So I know with what you get, what you do, you get a chance to see really cool innovation all the time, um, things that are kind of pushing the envelope. But how do you stay connected to what the innovations are? Do you, is it reading Wired? Is it listening to certain podcasts? Is it just the nature of your work? The customer sort of drives the idea in terms of they're looking, they have a need and they don't know how to solve it or they, think this is the way to solve it and it's not technology that I'm familiar with, then then I go do the research and that's that acquiring that information is is important. It's not just looking at 
understanding that that particular technology, but it's also looking at the reviews about how that technology fits into other technologies. And what I do is I type in, in the old way, I do the old-fashioned way, I, I type in and say, okay, what's the difference between LoRa and Wi-Fi? It, you'll get, you know, yep. 5,000 to 50,000 hits in you know, 0.03 seconds, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and then you dig down and you start reading and try to understand the differences in the application between the two. And what's important to understand in, in my position is the customer is trying to solve their problem and you have to look at the technology and is it the right platform or is the right way to approach their problem? And then sometimes it's my job to try to convince them that maybe use that's a good idea, but have you looked at this? Mm, so if they come in knocking on your door saying, we have this, we need to know more about how to make it work with Laura, but then you do some research and you find out, oh, maybe maybe it's not the best fit for them. You learn more about what they need and it's actually something else. And so it's a lot of discovery of what's the customer really after. Developing the solution around what their need is, correct? Mm-hmm, not the yeah. technology they yeah. come in talking about. Right. So for someone who has such a rich engineering background and uh, for the role that you do, you seem to do a lot of communication, a lot of communication with clients, a lot of research, a lot of writing. Is that a big part of your role? It is probably the the majority of the role, correct. Okay, so I'm saying that loud for all the engineering students to hear. I do notice something in your communication that I'd love to ask you about every a couple of times when you say about yeah. or out. So I know you were born in Canada and went to school in Canada. I also know just from hearing about your career that you've had an opportunity to live in a lot of places and travel a lot. Just what's your experience been in, in your career working with other cultures? So I've had a great opportunity, like you say, to explore the world in my career. Uh, I actually did a couple of years in China and understanding that culture. And I, actually not in Hong Kong, but actually in China. That was a great revelation in, in terms of understanding being the only, what they call guaylo, a foreigner in that environment and getting absorbed into their culture. And it just opened my eyes to, you know, how people acted and thought differently than than I did. So I like the idea of, of when you go to a culture, sometimes you leave it with a perception that you didn't have before. Absolutely. Yeah. And the understanding that it's more than just language and food and climate and terrain that changes when you go from place to place. There really is a different way of thinking sometimes mm-hmm. when you travel and learning that can take time. And one thing I learned is like all their exit signs, their fire exit signs are green. And ours are red. And what's red mean? Stop, right? And all theirs are green. And it's like, okay, why have our, all our exit signs red? I mean, just go here and stop. So if somebody did, couldn't read exit, but they saw the red sign, they would say, well, nope, that's not the place to go. And it's like, well, that right. was kind of dumb. We're yeah. using the color almost as like a caution color, whereas yeah. they're using it as like a... And I don't know whether green translates as go in other cultures, but... In their culture, it does, yeah. It does, yeah. yeah so then yeah. they're saying, here, go to the exit. And we're saying, here, caution, here's the exit. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything else that as you were thinking about, you know, your background and what you do that you would want to share with the IoT community? Well, I have to come back to, again, what Larry said in terms of this being the fourth industrial revolution. And it's chaos. It, it creates chaos. And chaos is a good thing. So... I don't want to say get used to it, but understand it and then try to ride the wave, if that's the right term. But understanding that the, the wave is moving, just try to make sure you're still in the wave. Don't get, don't get left, left in, in the trough behind. That's not easy to predict, 
but you should be able to be watching for the signs and then understand when it's time to move on and continue on developing with the, the latest technologies, especially in this space. That's a great perspective for it can get overwhelming, all the new tech. So it, it's great to be reminded, you know, you have to ride the wave. You have to be willing to learn new things. You have to be open to things changing so that you can stay in that wave. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. That's something that Larry would certainly remind us. And he had such a rich career and switched to a lot of different things and worked with so many different startups. He was certainly somebody that knew how to ride that wave well. Yep. Uh, hopefully his advice has fallen into a whole bunch of other ears besides uh, this community. I'm sure it has. So, yeah. I think it has spread. Definitely. Well, thanks for joining us on Riot Underground. So what we've talked about today has, I know, jumped a couple decades. It's jumped a couple continents, but it's given us a picture of a really rich career, um, an interesting perspective on product design and where it's going and some of the tech involved in it, some of the behind the scenes processes in it. And we've talked a little bit about what it takes to be a successful engineer in this disruptive world. Um, things that you have to do, things that you have to prepare for, and the challenge to always be learning. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Riot Underground. Make sure you subscribe because we've got more great content coming your way. Don't miss it. Hey, y'all. Caroline Griffin here, dropping in to say thanks for listening. And if you have any questions for Riot, send me a note. You can reach me at caroline at ncriot.org. This Riot Underground podcast is created and produced by Riot Studios with music by Scott Jackson. Riot is a nonprofit focused on economic development through the Internet of Things or IoT. We produce events, conferences, and educational courses around the world. And we run an early stage startup accelerator out of Riot Labs in Raleigh, North Carolina. Our nonprofit also operates a wireless test and certification facility under the Wireless Research Center brand. Learn how to engage by visiting us at ncriot.org.